Today's episode of Future Says is proudly sponsored by Oracle. Oracle offers integrated suites of applications plus secure autonomous infrastructure in the Oracle Cloud. For more information, check out www.oracle.com. On today's episode of Future Says, we have Anant Agarwal, a data science manager at Nissan's global digital hub, where he leads teams solving critical business problems using machine learning and AI. With an aim to upskill professionals in data science, Nant has also designed the Complete Data Science Masterclass, and in his spare time, he's been a national-level squash player, a record-breaking swimmer, and a fingerstyle guitarist. Hello, and welcome to Future Says, Anant. Really great to have you on the show this morning. Thanks, Sean. Good to be here. So let's jump right in, Anant, because I think your background is really fascinating and a little bit different. I mean, you studied geology and geophysics, and now you're very much in the field of data science. How did that career progression happen? So I did my undergraduate studies from IIT Kharagpur, which is Indian Institute of Technology. Uh, it is it is having an acceptance rate of only 1%. So uh, at that point, I was having a few options with me to decide what course I want to pursue. And that's where geology and geophysics, you know, struck me that I want to go in the science area. And that's how it, you know, came to be. Um, but my interest always lay in mathematics and, you know, physics. So when I went to the U.S. after my undergraduate studies at IIT Kharagpur, I took up computational geophysics, which is basically applying, you know, computational theories like numerical simulations to understand the earth and to model it. And that's where I got into programming and data science, machine learning, you know, the entire um, field itself. I then started working with Lofty, which is a digital advertising firm in San Francisco as a data scientist. I worked there for a few months. And then I returned to India to work with Nissan as a lead data scientist in their newly opened digital hub uh, out of South India. So, you know, that's that's how my journey has been. And I think I'm here to stay in this field because I did my MBA last year in finance and information systems. I had uh, opportunities from, you know, a data consulting company abroad, but I wanted to stay a bit technical as well as managerial, but, you know, hands-on. And I joined Nissan back and I'm working here as a data science manager. Excellent. And can you tell us a bit about this digital hub you've mentioned at Nissan? What is What are the big objectives of this hub? So Nissan's digital hub is a global hub which caters to internal businesses across geographies. Uh, the major geographies that we work with, you know, are uh, correlated with the biggest markets for Nissan as well. For example, uh, the USA and Japan. And uh, we are tasked with building products. This can be digital products, data products, mainly um, across the automotive value chain. So we work on marketing and sales. We work on supply chain. We work on, you know, uh, designing, uh, manufacturing, after sales, customer experience. So the entire value chain, we uh, basically cover it by building certain products. And, and you've mentioned so many of these different areas, the, the marketing and sales, supply chain, design, customer experience, very different fields. And so do you find that the work that you're doing in sales and marketing translates well to product design, which translates well to manufacturing? Are the challenges somewhat similar? You have data, you're looking to predict something, or can you tell us a bit about the differences, let's say, in some of those areas? Yes, Definitely. So uh, let me bring a data science aspect to uh, the value chain, right? When we start out, let's pick design. So we have these generative AI technologies. Most recently, we have ChatGPT and GPT-4, which were launched. So there is a scope for using generative AI in 
product design. We can iterate across different product designs and come to market with a particular final design very quickly. Then we come to manufacturing where we are looking at quality control. So we have these visual inspection systems, which we can uh, utilize to uh, identify the defects, you know, across the different uh, areas in manufacturing. Uh, so this is also another area in AI where we are mainly working with computer vision, right? Uh, then when once we come to uh, supply chain, there, you know, the real uh, entire digital twin comes out where we are looking at, you know, inventory optimization. We are looking at, you know, mapping out uh, the logistics, etc. So there is a different set of skills and technologies which come in here. We, we can also talk about Internet of Things, which comes in here. And then once uh, we pass through supply chain, we can talk about marketing and sales. So here, uh, the main activities are, you know, um, or main areas of interest for an automotive business is uh, how many units am I going to sell in the future based on how much expenditure I'm doing on advertising, on incentives, etc. So here there is, uh, you know, a little bit of market intelligence, which comes into the play. Uh, there is a little bit of uh, gut feeling as well as a lot of statistical analysis, which comes into play that uh, kind of a war gaming where if the competitor does this, this is what's going to happen to my product and my sales. So this is about marketing and sales. Then we move on to after sales where we can talk about uh, how customers are going to extend their warranties periods. So um, how many claims they are doing you know, what is the repair history, etc. And uh, we can also uh, think about the damage detection, right? So if there is a damage or a scratch or a dent on my car, uh, how is the repair cost for that calculated, right? So this is another area where computer vision can help. So across all of these different areas, we have different technologies and the, the data science challenges mostly remain the same, right? So we have challenges around data, uh, any good data science project always requires a lot of data uh, to actually be very strong. We have challenges around adoption of the solution. So once the data science solution has been built, uh, how are we going to pitch it to the business people to actually start using it and start adopting it? And that's where a level of trust needs to come into the play and a little uh, level of literacy, data science literacy also needs to be there where they are able to grasp how the solution is working. And once they are able to understand that, then they become confident and comfortable with actually adopting it. So there are a lot of challenges in this uh, field, but it's very exciting. And, uh, you know, that's why I love this field. A lot of challenges, but also clearly a lot of opportunities. I mean, yes. the amount of use cases you've mentioned there is incredible. You've also mentioned ChatGPT, which of course I'd like to ask you a quick question on as well. Maybe first with all these different areas and, and that you could go into and that if somebody is listening to you as data science manager in a different company or a different automotive firm, they might think, well, should I start in after sales? Should I start in supply chain? Should I start in generative AI designs? Do you have any advice on where to start based on your experience of what has been most successful or what has been the quickest wins, let's say? So I think the main area where uh, data science can really help is marketing and sales because uh, there is a lot of money which is spent in actually getting the product attractive to the customer or 
getting the customer to know that this is a product with so many features which are superior to the competitors products so in marketing and sales there is a lot of scope for optimization we can think about marketing mix attribution where we are finding out what media channels are contributing the most to sales and where should we focus our effort on then the second priority i would say would be supply chain where there are tons of use cases not necessarily machine learning but probably we can think about optimization uh, right which is a mathematical field uh, it's it's a field of data science but it's uh, uh, it's not a traditional machine learning or ai field right so there are a lot of use cases there and then go on to the other fields so this can be a roadmap of a uh, you know data scientist or a data science team um, in a new business yeah and of course both of those areas like you said are super important i see more and more about the importance of the supply chain and optimization of this it becomes harder and harder nowadays with components and parts coming from many different regions and geographies and political climates so definitely a, a very pressing topic there you mentioned on your last point using generative ai designs and chatgpt i read a blog about you speaking about chatgpt recently anand so can you give the audience maybe just a a one or two sentences on your thoughts about that technology and how that could impact uh, your world chatgpt is a very uh, breakthrough technology because it is uh, now available to the general public and the accuracy and the uh, validity of its predictions is very very high right so if you type anything inside it you get a very good response which you on it which you will not be able to make out if it is from a real person or from a computer system so uh i think it's a breakthrough uh the use that we can have is we can now build you know our custom systems on top of chat gpt so they have also released their application programming interface which we can leverage to bring uh, build our own applications so if you think about uh, one such application like the chatbot for our own service centers right if a customer comes in with a particular need and they type something that you know i need certain help with this particular service area uh the system can based on the policies which are there for the organization the system can respond to the customer that this is going to be the lead time probably based on your request so there are a lot of opportunities which which we can you know leverage based on this chat gpt and the generative ai um this is on customer experience but definitely if as i talked about the designs like designing uh cars like concept cars using generative ai i think that's a breakthrough field as well and there's a lot of scope there yes i, I was listening to a lecturer at, at columbia university recently and he was speaking about they do a semester a six month semester about robots and they try to design the next generation robots and people are creative but creativity is difficult so when he would ask every student at the start design me the next generation robot people were designing things that you know somewhat look the same we we all in our head have a concept of yes. robots whether it's from books or movies or everything else yes if you actually in, yeah yes. but if we input it into this model which doesn't have that previous bias and you say build me a robot with these different characteristics they'll come up with so many different options as well so it's a really interesting space this generative ai within design and and you you've told us a bit about the the digital hub uh, the use cases Can you talk to us about the ways of working and I guess the timelines involved? So you say 
we're going to do a computer vision project on defect analysis with this particular uh, department or this particular team. How, how do you then go? Is it a four-week project? Is it a six-month project? What is the processes involved? In terms of timelines, when we start out, the first few months are actually understanding the business problem statement and identifying you know, what kind of data would be needed to solve that problem. So I would say about one to two months in scoping the problem, understanding the data, understanding the business context. Understanding the business context is important because as data scientists, we are mathematicians and statisticians. We are not necessarily you know, the best in understanding the business. But data science is very important because uh, you need to tie the business context with the uh, data science of it, right? It's, it's incomplete without the business context. So understanding that would take about the first two months, approx. And then after that, we start going into the, uh, you know, analytics part where we look at the data, we look at what kind of relationships exist, which is termed exploratory data analysis. Once we have a fair understanding of what are the relationships in the data, what are the outliers in the data, after that, we can go onto the modeling phase, right? So I would say the first five months are roughly understanding the business context, gathering the data, and then cleaning the data, processing the data so that it can be used for analysis. Uh, this is the major chunk of uh, you know uh, any data science project. The modeling phase then comes after that where based on the problem statement, either you are optimizing for something or you're trying to predict something. Optimizing would mean that with a given set of resources, you're trying to maximize, let's say, profit. And prediction would mean, let's say, you're trying to do your sales forecasting or demand forecasting. So you can build different algorithms so and you can experiment with that. And that activity is actually a very high value adding. And it takes about two to three months to build a good uh, system. And this doesn't mean that we are building a system at one go or over three months. There are a lot of iterations which keep on going through. Um, one model might not be performing best, but as we go through, another model is actually performing better. So we choose that. So eight months out, we are completing the modeling. And after that, uh, you know, it becomes a long-term project where we think about making it ready for adoption by the business. And this means we are doing model deployment. We are streamlining the data processes that can feed into this machine learning system and keep generating the outputs automatically over the future time periods. So uh, this particular phase, developing the software system around the data science, uh, data science algorithm, the data uh, base, the software engineering part of it, I would say, would, should take about four extra months right, to build this very robust system, which can do continuous integration, continuous deployment, you know, the regular software engineering practices, uh, code quality checks, etc. And then after this period of one year, then this becomes a full-blown uh, adopted project. I, th I think that's a great answer, Nant, and it, it really clarifies for people what they can expect and, and how long in order to reach those uh, expectations, because one of the biggest challenges I hear that people have is um, sort of management buy-in and expectations management. And people read the news and they say, well, let, let's bring an AI into our plant and we're going to make hundreds of millions of dollars next week. But what you're saying is you need to really 
understand the business context, get the data in the right shape, then start modeling and then deploy those models. And without deployment of those models, all that work is completely wasted. So, I mean, right. there is a process involved. And I'm also referring to an organization which is slightly mature in their data journey. So they already have that data, you know, uh, environment or data ecosystem set up. That's when it would probably, you know, take three months for the data processing and the exploration. If you don't have that set up, then the data part itself would take, you know, eight year, eight months to one year to be completely set up for a AI use case to build on top of it. Okay, a couple couple questions I'd like to ask off the back of some of the challenges you've mentioned then, Anand. One of them you said to understand that business context requires a lot of uh, collaboration between people like yourself, expert data scientists, and then people with domain knowledge. Is there any way that we can accelerate this? You mentioned literacy. How can we get the data scientists quicker to understand the business and the business people quicker to understand the data science? So how this happens is we have these centers of excellence for data science, and we have the business units stationed in different departments. The one way in which we can actually bring this collaboration uh, to be more quicker is we can position the data scientists in the business unit teams, and we can position certain business people into the data science team, like working, you know, probably uh, ingrained in the teams itself, not just for the project, but over a longer period of time. Uh, how that would help is for the data scientist, they will be hearing about, you know, the business context. They will be learning about the general business ideas of that space. And for the business person, they will also see how the data scientist is working and you know, what kind of tools, techniques, etc. are used. So this seems to be a long, this should be a long term, you know, uh, journey. Um, and it should be part of the organization's culture itself instead of just being for the project. And, and this is something you're doing as well, you've, you've got a data science masterclass, Anant. I want to get back into the challenges, but when you're speaking about literacy, can you tell the audience a little bit more about this data science masterclass you've created? Definitely. So the complete data science masterclass, as I have coined it, is uh, aimed to be a one-stop place where you can learn data science and also learn the business applications of data science. So we have had people coming in from uh, core consulting backgrounds like McKinsey, Bain, BCG. We have people from Amazon in product management roles. Um, also people in core, uh, hardcore finance roles like chartered accountants, etc. And the idea is to make them a bit familiar with Python programming primarily uh, because Python is so versatile uh, in its uh, applications and give them a high level understanding of machine learning, optimization, deep learning, you know, the entire a range of technologies which a data scientist is actually familiar with. So the idea is to tone down the technicalities uh, a little bit because uh, we cannot do it to the complete bare minimum and also get them to understand and appreciate uh, how the science is actually working and what is the business area where it is actually, uh, you know, helping out. And it's just a cost of a pizza. So I've tried to make it as, uh, you know, as cheap as possible because I want to reach a larger audience. And this was actually the idea of my wife, which she pushed me and, you know, she said, you should do this. Awesome. I love it. So lots of people going to, to take this complete data science masterclass. It's a, it's a brilliant idea. Um, if we go back to that, let's say the Nissan context, 
you, you mentioned deep learning. We've mentioned computer vision. These are very complex um, applications, complex technologies, complex algorithms. But, you know, data science as a field isn't just AI. It isn't just these complex applications. It's also uh, exploration. You, you mentioned EDA. Can, you know, what do you think about this context of data democratization and democratizing, whether it's dashboards or more maybe decision trees to some of these business units and domain experts? I think uh, that's a very good point. So I think at this point, business units which are using a bit of data, they are already familiar with the basic kind of visualizations or dashboards, you know, that they actually leverage in their day-to-day work. To make them more familiar with, you know, the core data science part of it, we can actually have low-code or no-code platforms. We have RapidMiner, etc., where you don't uh, actually need to go and code in particular programming language. You can just do a drag and drop on your data and extract insights out of it. And then the main task is actually, task is basically how do you understand and evaluate those insights? So that's where I think business units will start to appreciate the outputs. And once they get to that basic level where they are able to appreciate the basic insights, that's where they can, you know, become more comfortable with more customized data science solutions, which requires programming and pass on these particular requirements to a data scientist to work on. Makes complete sense, a a good process there. The other big challenge you mentioned is trying to get models into production, into deployment. And I see far too often people spending so much time developing models and then they never go into production. And that whole project is, is wasted. Have you seen this challenge? And if you have an and, how do we overcome this particular challenge around deployment? So this challenge is one of the main challenges in, uh, you know, machine learning at this point. And we have this new field, which is machine learning operations called MLOps in short coming out, right? Because of this challenge in particular, a lot of startups also coming into the space. So the main challenge which comes when we are trying to deploy a machine learning model into production is uh, when we are building a model, we have this static data. We have a static picture of what the historical data looked like, and we have a static requirement that we want to predict into the future. When you deploy it, deployment basically means that we want the model to get updated automatically. And we want this continuous stream of data coming in. The model should process it. It should be, it should automatically ensure that the accuracy is of a reasonable level before actually rolling out the predictions to a business user. So this process, the main challenge comes in the data part where the data quality is often underestimated, uh, the data quality required for deployment. The second challenge is that data lies generally across different departments. And when you're building a machine learning system, you probably just manually send emails, you probably reach out to them and get the data. But when you're trying to productionize it, you need this continuous source of information coming in, in a timely manner. So getting the data in a timely manner becomes another challenge. The third thing is the machine learning model that you built, uh, it is built on a static data and it's predicting a certain output, right? There is a need for continuously monitoring the model's output if you start automating it. So with newer data, there can be data drifts where the data behavior is changing over time and there can be certain relationship changes as well in terms of uh, 
the model's target, let's say we are trying to predict sales of a product, right? And let's say we are trying to model it on our advertising spend in a particular channel. So in our historical data, we probably would have seen that if we spend on TV, then, you know, our product sales is increasing. But as we are moving towards more digital, uh, you know, mediums, we can see that digital uh, channels might play a bigger role in affecting the product sales. So this is kind of a drift which we can observe in the real world, but the model doesn't know that, right? It just sees the historical data. So this kind of tuning also needs to happen. And the fourth thing is explaining the model's behavior to the business. So if the accuracy is 99% or 95%, it's all well and good. But if the accuracy goes down to, let's say, 70%, 60%, the business might not appreciate, you know, why that accuracy has dipped suddenly. So explaining this change management, keeping an open communication with the business is another area um, in which MLOps, uh, you know, can be refined and uh, can be actually delivered very easily. You, you mentioned, you know, some, some platforms, obviously, to help build models. When people are at the start of this journey, Anand, do you think MLOps should be, you know, a priority or do you think they should focus on how can I build more models or how can I improve the quality of my information? In priority level, should MLOps be at the top when you're starting your journey or should you not consider it? You know, what are your thoughts there? So if you want to get value out of a system of a machine learning algorithm, I would say the first step should be always the data quality and getting a good quality data, which is large in size and which is of good quality, right? Uh, and also consistent across the different uh, factors that we want to consider. That is the first priority. The second priority should be having that long-term vision, which is, okay, I, I invest this effort of about 12 months into building the system. How am I going to actually start using it into the future? So having this MLOps kind of a vision is important uh, in the second priority. And then once you have this entire thing scoped out, then we can start building it. So MLOps needs to be there in the beginning where you need to understand that what you're building now, is it scalable? Is it generalizable or not? Amazing. Okay. So I think we have a good understanding of, of use cases, of, of techniques, of how to start, of how to scale. So can we talk about this utopian future, Anand, when we've scaled, where we have MLOps, where we have multiple models all deployed, all being operationalized? What happens? What's coming next? What excites you about the future of, let's say, machine learning firstly, and then we'll speak about the future of mobility as a whole? I think what excites me is, uh, you know, what we are seeing in with the wave of chat GPT and generative AI, it's becoming available to the public. And uh, there is a lot of scope for new businesses to come up to actually solve new problems, right? So I think this is what excites me where we can see, we will start seeing a lot more startups and businesses come into the space um, of machine learning and the technology itself will keep on evolving. Uh, as we become more and more data mature, the machine learning maturity will also keep on increasing beyond the probably big five tech companies. It will also flow down uh, and cascade to the smaller companies or the companies which are not that data mature. And this is what excites me, uh, you know, uh, in a space such as automotive, which is also expected to grow uh, to about $400 billion uh, in value by 2030, right? So AI is, AI is currently contributing about one to two billion, 
uh, right? But in the next decade, we are expected to see multiple fold increase in the value that it can create and the value in the systems that can get adopted by these autonomous uh, cars and, you know, uh, other systems. So I think this is what excites me and uh, I'm happy to be in this field. <laughs> and and you, you briefly mentioned autonomous cars just now. What do you think about the future of mobility? How will we be driving in 10 years? Mobility, as I see it, can be broken down into four main components, which are getting revolutionized. We can think about this in a case technology. So C stands for connected. We can, we'll start seeing more connected cars where the information is flowing through sensors and getting captured and it can be used to drive the entire, uh, you know, life cycle of a vehicle that when a customer is purchasing it, how they are using it, et cetera. The second part is the autonomous part where, uh, we'll definitely be seeing a lot more self-driving cars and a lot more confidence on that. So the third one, we'll also start seeing, uh, you know, a lot of shared mobility where it will be more cost effective. It will be a greener alternative to the current mobility solutions. And finally, we'll also see a shift towards electrification and electric vehicles where their adoption will increase multifold. I think this is going to be uh, the future and there is a lot of value which AI will also bring on the table. So I'm excited about the future. And and so am I, Anand. So this is a, this is a great uh, way to remember it as well with with the case uh, acronym. But um, all these exciting things, there is obviously some concerns as well and some challenges. Is there anything that scares you about this future? Is there anything that you think we need to be wary of as we move towards this electrified, connected, autonomous world? One thing which scares me is the ethics of it, right? Uh, so when we see in at the history of the world, the best technologies and the greatest science was developed for wars, right? Uh, as we move into the future and we develop these sophisticated systems, there is will be an ethics challenge and an AI ethics which needs to be correctly addressed. Let me give a scenario. So a self-driving car is going on a road and it sees one vehicle in front of it and a child passing by the road with his mother on the side, right? And it has to decide which way to go because uh, it has certain limitations in its deceleration. It cannot just stop. So it has to decide whether to go straight or whether to go right. And in each of these cases, it is actually damaging one way, damaging one way or the other, right? So having these kind of dilemmas, how do we actually solve these false self-driving cars uh, will be an issue. So ethics needs to be very uh, well mapped out. That is one uh, thing which probably I feel should be addressed. The second thing which also scares me is the cyber security, right? So as we get more and more connected in the digital world, having a strong security system so that, uh, you know, we the the systems cannot be hacked is equally important. Maybe just as a last question then, how would you recommend somebody listening uh, can get involved in this conversation, can get involved in data science within their organizations, can learn a bit more about this and start to apply some of those techniques? The first step would be to start reading more about it. There's a wealth of information available for free on uh, the web. So start reading about it, start 
thinking about the high level impact areas where AI is actually helping, uh, I would suggest not to worry too much about the technology itself, the nitty gritties, but start appreciating the technology and what it can do, right? And have a fair bit of understanding of where it is placed in a value chain, right? So uh, there should not be a hype around it, but there should not be an under expectation as well. The second part where, uh, you know, once you have done this, you start learning a bit of programming. Um, if not programming, then probably start doing data science with Excel or other low-code and no-code platforms to start appreciating how it is actually working beneath the hood. And that's very accessible to everyone uh, and it's easy to learn. I would suggest these two main pillars in which you can transition into data science in your current function, be it finance or marketing or whatever function you're working. Awesome. Well, wait, you've heard Anand now, everybody go out and start to learn more, start to read more, start to use some of these technologies and just dive in essentially. Anand, we've all heard the potential, we've heard some of the challenges, but it's time, I think, to, to start working, to jump into these. There's plenty of resources, there's plenty of technologies to help people on this journey. Any final words of wisdom, Anand? Data, data everywhere. How much can you crunch? This is the new age. I love it. And then thank you so much for your time. Uh, best of luck for the rest of the year. And we'll speak soon. Thanks, Sean. Have a good year too. Thanks for joining. Now next on the show, we'll have Rajiv Verma, Data Science Senior Specialist at Magna. Hope to see you there.